This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It's a big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, big thanks to the title sponsor of the big show. That's Big O. It's the final week of Big O's buy three, get one free sale. Hurry in and don't forget to take advantage of their pay nothing financing options. Big O Tires, the team you trust. We're going to talk to Ben Anderson in a minute. You got nothing over there? <laughs> I just uh, found a rather disturbing not sports report. And and it's it's kind of sad. I mean, it's very sad. It's but, not what Jake was just talking about, is it? No, no. Okay. No, but, he got bored of that conversation. Oh, I mean, bored. Bored is not the word. Disgusted and sickened. <laughs> no, please. You're just being real. I just don't know whether I can do this not sports report uh, because it's it's one of those things that makes you think, gosh darn it, but. You know what? If sad. you think it's too sad to do, then let's find a different. Yeah. I just don't know if I yeah. can do it without you know shedding a tear. Or... No, let's pick a different story. When in doubt, toss. I it actually out. have a really good story. I'll I'll forward to. <laughs> okay, I mean you know, it, it's. No, it's, we're not going to do it. It's sad, but it it, it you know. <laughs> Is it as sad as that five year old birthday where they watched a tiger eat a donkey? Because that was the story. That's the that's the bar. Uh, let's was it a tiger or was it an alligator? Let's tiger. change the subject. Man, did you see that? Did you see that uh, that crocodile that showed up on the front door of that family in Sri Lanka? You know Ben's time is really valuable. Oh, right? oh yeah, sorry. You know. Well, I mean, the, the croc was just, those things are mean. Sri Lanka and, today is at five thirty, and they and they tried to, they tried to bundle it up and what? And you know what they did? It started rolling. That's what they do when they get you. They roll. Out to the Smart Rain special guest line. It's no mystery. Utah's in extreme drought. That is why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation smartly. Find out more at smartrain.net. He makes the magic happen at KSL Sports. He's our good friend, Ben Anderson. Ben, change the subject, ben, please. Ben, ben, look, I'm telling you, if you heard what Jake and Austin were talking about during the break, and I know you're a radio veteran, it, it, I mean, you would have wanted to run out of the room. It was it was that bad. Well, you know, Jake turns 40, and his life, he realizes it's quickly coming to an end, and so he turns a little darker. It's true. But, but here's the thing. Here's the key component of this. Off the air, whereas on the air, Gordon's waxing on about alligators in Sri Lanka for crying out loud. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Let's not, let's get to Ben's expertise. Uh, ben, well, excited to have you on today. Certainly want to get your perspective about uh, the adjustments in the front office for the Jazz. What do you what do you think about what we've seen so far? I wasn't stunned by what happened with Dennis Lindsay yesterday. I, I you know, like you guys, have talked to some people, and it just kind of felt like that was the direction this was trending. 
Dennis Lindsay was doing fewer and fewer media appearances. It felt like Justin Zanuck was starting to have a little bit, maybe not bigger impact, but was, you know, a, a face right alongside Dennis Lindsay. And when he left for Milwaukee, Zanuck, and then came back, it just felt like, hey, there has to be some true potential for growth upward in the organization for him in the reasonable future. And that was, what, 2019 when he came back and was named an official general manager. It felt like at some point Dennis Lindsay was going to make this decision. In my opinion, you know, assuming that, you know, everything's above ground, or we've heard it sounds like everyone was happy with this move, it's kind of feel good to step away. I mean, I can't imagine that that's an easy job or a particularly fun job, even if it's a hard job to get. So, Ben, what do you think of, of the overall effect, regardless of what the particulars were with Denny, Dennis Lindsay making this move? What do you make of the overall effect of Ryan Smith's ownership? Because it seems to me like this guy is really uh, active, aggressive. Uh, he probably trusts the right people as opposed to relying on his own expertise when it comes to basketball. But it seems like he wants to get stuff done. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he's extremely proactive, and that wasn't something we always saw with the Millers. And look, you look at how these two families kind of built their fortunes and built their legacies, and they're totally different. You know, Larry Miller and Gail kind of slowly built this thing into this multi-billion dollar franchise, but, you know, that started in the early 80s for them, and they kind of got to this valuation over the last decade. And Ryan Smith, as we know, has what they call a unicorn. You know, he had one of these tech companies, even though it certainly wasn't overnight, but in, you know, a decade and a half, he went from working in a garage in Provo or, you know, out south and now has an $8 billion company. So I'm sure some of the way it has been built and their lives have been built has shifted just kind of their idea on how to have a business. And the Utah Jazz ultimately are a business. And they both wanted to see it succeed. And the Millers had kind of slow played things historically. And I just don't think that's ever felt like Ryan Smith's game plan in any business that he's ever been a part of. He seems to like to get things moving. He seems to like action and progress. And he seems to like progress in the right direction because it's been successful for him. So I think if you're a jazz fan, that's encouraging. It's certainly a shakeup of the status quo that you were probably used to over the last 30 years. So what do you think's next? Uh, Gordon and I both agree that probably there's another couple of moves coming in the near future. Are we going to see more faces in that front office? Yeah, probably a couple of names. I don't know if there's a major, major shakeup. I could be totally wrong on that. But, you know, Justin Zanuck, like I said, has been doing this, preparing for this. They brought him in because they liked the connections he had around the NBA. He's been in successful front offices with the Jazz and with Milwaukee and was part of the team that kind of built this into a, a contender on both sides of the conferences. Milwaukee's obviously probably the favorite now to get to the finals and maybe win it all. The Jazz were maybe a couple of injuries away from being in the finals potentially. So he's been in successful front offices. He knows what, you know, good good operations look like. He knows what good coaching staffs look like. So I think you probably need to trust a guy, some, who's been running the day-to-day operations and has been successful, even if you do go out and bring in some other names to step in and fill in just for experience, even additional networking, even though I think that's one of Justin Zanuck's really biggest advantages is because he was an agent. He knows so many people. I know I've heard people in the Jazz front office say that was one of the great things he really brought. Yeah, maybe you just bring a couple of extra pairs of eyes in just to make sure you have the best input you can. And if you were going to describe uh, the perfect executive for an NBA team, what what qualities do you think are most important? I think one thing that they always have to be willing to do, and this is probably any line of work, is you just have to be willing to play the hand you're dealt, and you can't fall in love with your game plan because – Game plans change. You get injured. You have younger players who are better than your veteran players who cough less, and you have to make those adjustments. 
And to Dennis Lindsay and Quinn Snyder's credit and the Millers at the time, they saw that, okay, you lost Gordon Hayward. Donovan Mitchell came in and was instantly a better option than Rodney Hood or whatever else you had on the roster. And they said, we're going to shift everything. We're going to build around Donovan Mitchell. We've got to figure out what we have. But once we do, we're going to be aggressive, and you're going to get Jay Crowder, and you're going to get Mike Conley, and you're going to get Boyan Bogdanovich, and you're going to build around that. So I think a willingness to embrace change and still understand how change can win is really valuable and is really important. And, and I think it's hard because it constantly changes. And look, some of the GMs who think, hey, the more moves I make, the better it's going to be, obviously that comes back to bite you, and, and you end up making bad trades. And you know, even if you're getting 90 cents on the dollar for every trade, eventually that really starts to hurt you and you fall back and you just overall lessen the value of your talent. The ability to see things through and be patient at the right time also has huge value. So I think you're constantly as a front office member, specifically a general manager, talking out of both sides of your mouth, which is you've got this vision for the team, you know what your core pieces are, and you want to stick with that. But at the same time, you have to be willing to make occasionally major tweaks, usually minor tweaks, to kind of get that game plan to or past the finish line, even if that's not how you envision getting there. So I, I think you're kind of steadying with one hand and juggling with the other. And that's, that's a hard job. That's why that's a very hard job to get. It's a hard job to be successful at. So, Ben, uh, Justin Zanuck has one major decision to make, <clears throat> certainly on Mike Conley. And then they have the, the draft where they have the 30th pick, and we'll see what else happens this offseason. But let's talk about Conley here for a second. If uh, Ryan Smith is willing to pay the bill, is it a no-brainer to re-up Mike if he wants to stay? It, it is. It, you have to get him at least for an asset. I mean, really the worst thing you can do is lose Mike Conley and get absolutely nothing in return. I mean, if you want to sign him and trade him, that's fine. If you want to sign him and keep him, that's probably the best option. But if you want to sign him and say, hey, we're going to bite the bullet for six months and then we'll explore what happens in February at the trade deadline again, that's fine too. And there's a lot of successful examples of that. That's what the Golden State Warriors did. Remember, they traded Kevin Durant and got D'Angelo Russell back in return. And they didn't want D'Angelo Russell but they recognize, hey, that's an asset that if you let Kevin Durant move, because they were over the luxury tax, the same way the Jazz are going to be, if you let Kevin Durant move for nothing in return, you never get that back. There's no asset in return. So by taking on D'Angelo Russell, even though they probably didn't want him, they ended up being able to flip that for Andrew Wiggins and an unprotected first-round pick that's like the seventh pick in this year's draft, which is really valuable. It might turn into Ben Simmons. So, yes, it's expensive. Yes, it's hard to do. It's not my money. It's easy to spend somebody else's money. But if you can get an asset back, it's better than losing somebody for nothing. And I think the Jazz probably learned that the hard way with Gordon Hayward. So if we're living in a fantasy land with the Jazz, uh, Ben, what do they need to add? And I know it's tough with their financial situation the way it is and whatnot. They re-sign Mike Conley if they can because I agree with you. I think they have to do that if it's at all possible. What, what, what else do they need? They need versatility, and versatility is a vague word on purpose because you can plug it in anywhere. You know, you can have a versatile guard in the backcourt that can defend better, that doesn't put so much pressure on Rudy Gobert to have to guard Terrence Mann at the three-point line and also stop Reggie Jackson from getting layups. Too much Rudy Gobert. It was just no human is, po- is able to do what the Jazz were asking him to do in game six of that series or game five of that series, and it's why they got eliminated. It wasn't on Rudy's fault. It was what he can and can't do. And the Jazz were asking to do things he simply can't do. Now, they were also asking their perimeter players, apparently, to do things they can't do, which is stay in front of their man. <laughs> now, Donovan Mitchell was hurt. Mike Conley was hurt. Joe Ingles and Boyan Bogdanovich and Jordan Clarkson never, haven't ever been 
super spry defenders on the perimeter. Joe certainly feels like he's taken a little bit of a step backwards recently in that regard, but Boyan's never been great and Clarkson's never been great. So the Jazz lack some of that ability to defend quicker guys, quick uh, defend on the perimeter, versatility defending. Everything's just kind of about funneling players to Rudy Gobert. And if you push Rudy Gobert out of the paint, that system breaks down pretty quickly. And that's what we saw. So, you need versatility, whether that's a power forward who can help as a complimentary shot blocker or a rim protector for Rudy Gobert who can rotate so you're not always giving up the paint when you have a guy like Terrence Mann in the corner. You can do that. If you need an elite perimeter defender, then you feel like you can get one like a Ben Simmons, and I don't know how you get there, but you know a player like that, you, you can get that. That's versatility. You need, though, more options defensively. It's really just like the offensive side of the ball that the Jazz were on, what, three years ago when they kept facing the Houston Rockets and getting eliminated. The Jazz had one good offensive player. It was Donovan Mitchell. So they focused everything on taking Donovan Mitchell out of the offensive game plan, and they easily won those playoff series. Now you have one good defensive player in Rudy Gobert, and every team says, well, we're going to focus everything we can to take Rudy Gobert out of the defensive game plan, and it works. You just can't be singularly minded. You can't only have one identity on the defensive end or the offensive end, and the Jazz solved it on offense, and they never have figured it out on defense yet. So I want to run a hot take by you, Ben, and, and please feel free to tell me I'm wrong. But the one thing I'm I'm taking from this Jazz Clippers series, and and maybe we should have been taking this, you know, from those Rocket series or whatever. But how can how can teams get away with guarding a seven three guy with somebody who's six seven, or even worse, when Reggie Jackson got switched on to Rudy, they never took advantage of it. Is is can Rudy get his skill set to the point where he can throw a drop step on somebody and make teams adjust? Because you shouldn't be able to get away with that. I don't think so. I just, you know, he's been in the league for, what, seven or eight years now. He's drafted in 2013, so eight seasons now. If he doesn't have it now, I'm not waiting for it. But you can also find guys for cheap that can probably abuse somebody in that situation. I mean, Robin Lopez, I've never seen him miss a hook shot in his life. I mean, every time he touches the ball down low, I know he's not kind of your traditional pick-and-roll big like the Jazz have relied on and have liked to have even in their second unit. But that's the type of guy who, if they say, hey, we're going to go small, you say, okay, we'll pull Rudy Gobert out of the game for three or four possessions. And if you want to put Terrence Mann or Reggie Jackson on him or whoever small, we're just going to let Brooke Lopez hit, you know, turn around little hook shots over you on four straight possessions. And if that happens, they kind of can't play small anymore. And it's obviously not perfect, and they can game plan and adjust. But the Jazz just didn't have anybody who could do it. It wasn't just Rudy. I mean, Derek Favors wasn't an option for that later uh, in, in the season, the way it felt like he used to be when he was younger. So I, I don't think Rudy's going to add that to his game. He's gotten a little bit better. His footwork's gotten better. He kind of has a little spin move. If the Jazz weren't even trying to get him the ball because his isolation numbers were just so bad throughout most of the season that it didn't feel like a realistic option late. And, and maybe you just have to force it and you have to make him put him at the free throw line if he's going to get dunks over those guys. But it doesn't even feel like the Jazz are confident that they can get to that point to force another team to have to foul him to prevent him from getting dunks. They just feel like he'll turn the ball over, throw the ball out of bounds, or not get a good look. Ben, you mentioned Derek Favors. Uh, what are we looking at there now with him? I, I think it's a little hard to tell because it seemed like he struggled when there were a lot of games pushed together closely, and that was the case basically throughout the entire season. And when he had a little bit of rest or wasn't playing as much like we saw in the first round, I thought he was really good against the Memphis Grizzlies. So he can clearly still be effective, and he seemed to have another gear that he was able to flip in the playoffs. He kind of admitted as much that, hey, this is the playoffs. I've got to play harder and play better. But now he's just, you know, he, he, it's going to be hard to swallow two years and $20 million that are left on his contract. That's 
that's a lot of money for a guy in a backup center who's not giving you a ton the way you could use, you know, a seventh guy or an eighth guy making $10 million off your bench. You could get more out of that position. And that was the gamble of the Jets, giving him the full mid-level exception in the offseason. He's proven. He knows the system. He likes Quinn Snyder. He fits with what the Jazz want to do. He's also regressing to the point where, you know, he's been in the league for a decade now at least and, and just isn't the player he used to be. Ben, taking a break from the Jazz for a second here. Uh, Damian Lillard uh, likes Chauncey Billups, then doesn't like Chauncey Billups. Now people are saying he's on their way. Catch me up. I was I was celebrating my 40th over the weekend. What's going on with Damian Lillard? Is he moving or what? Yeah, I think it's kind of hard to tell exactly what he's going to be doing and, and exactly what the plan is. Clearly, he's not thrilled with what's going on in Portland, nor should he be. And it's kind of felt like this was going to be the case all along that he keeps having to carry this team and it's hard when you get to the Western Conference Finals like they did what was that 2019 and then take this step back like they have in recent years that's that gets hard I think that weighs on players especially if they feel like hey we're headed in the wrong direction even if it's just you know a temporary step back but I, I don't know how Portland gets significantly better with their roster currently they went out and traded for Norman Powell but Norman Powell and Dame and CJ McCollum are all very similar players so it's really tough so I understand why he'd be frustrated and want out and not feel like there's potential to go. At the same time, he seems to always want to be loyal to Portland, and he's probably at that point maybe not as heavily as where we all remember Kevin Garnett was. He was talking to who was it, John Thompson from Georgetown after he retired, and he you know he cried on camera because he was tired of losing. And, and Damian Lillard's not certainly not losing at the same rate that Kevin Garnett was when he was in Minnesota. But, I mean, he's 30. You know, he played four years at, at Weber State before he got into the NBA. He was 22 and 23 as a rookie. This is not a guy who has four or five years left on a team that's trying to figure it out. He, he's getting to that point where he's going to have to start getting on a team that's truly contending, and Portland's not there. So it's going to take, it's gonna take I think, a major shakeup for him to find what he's looking for, and I think he probably recognizes that as well. And Terrence Mann was the 48th pick in the draft a couple of years ago. And I, so I'm, I guess that's the lead up to my question, the Jazz with a 30th pick in the draft. What's your excitement level for uh, that exercise this time around? It's weird. The 30th pick is weird. It has good value. You know, it's the last guaranteed contract. But the Jazz are also in a spot where, you know, is a young guy going to be able to crack the rotation? I have my doubts. I, I have a doubt that they want to play young guys at this point in their career, even if they could. So I think there's kind of mixed value on what they could look for. you know. But, but you look at what happened last year in the draft where guys like Desmond Bain or Jaden McDaniels came in and were successful and helpful and, and made their teams better. Granted, those teams weren't considered to be contenders the way I think the Jazz probably view themselves as contenders if they can bring Mike Conley back. So it's tepid, you know, it's, it's not super exciting. and It's not like a 14th pick or a 7th pick where you're a team like Golden State who's going to be good next year and then also gets to bring in a, a top player. It's nothing exciting like that, but you're always looking for that late-round steal. You're always looking for a guy who can come in and help. It's also worth noting that Rudy Gobert is one of the best late-round steals of all time, late first-round picks, and it took him four years before he was really on the floor and helping. So even if you get a good player, you might not know it. I wouldn't expect the Jazz to get somebody who's going to come in and change the culture right away. Okay, Ben, this is a really stupid off-topic question, but of course I have your Twitter account up because I, I follow Ben. Ben At Ben's Hoops, all the latest news, great work on the Jazz, of course, KSL Sports. i got to ask you, though, what's up with Nighthawks as your uh, your profile picture there? Because, first of all, I love that work of art. seen it in person, but I've wanted to ask you for a while now, what's the story with that? So, first of all, I had it over my kitchen table growing up, 
the uh, Hopper painting that you're talking about. Uh, and, and then, Jake, when you and I were doing pre- and post-game shows, and I told you I was going to the All-Star game, you said you have to go. This comes back to you. You said you have to go to the Chicago Art Institute yeah, because that's where it's hanging. And so that picture is actually a real photo I took of it at the Chicago Art Institute. And I just, you know, I'd love the ambiance of that photo. I love the feeling of, or the, of the painting, I should say. I love, you know, the late-night diner and people just kind of hanging out. And it's not really about anything. It's a little lonely, but there's also company there. So I don't know. I just always kind of liked that painting. It was there when I was a child. You recommended me to go see it in person. I did. So I kind of like that aspect of it. It kind of yeah. tied into what I was doing for a career. You know what? I actually did an interview with Gordon inside the Chicago Art Institute last year. Jake, I think you had taken the week off. Hey, how about I that? I was inside hiding in a hallway. Uh, I'm sure they didn't <laughs> love me talking as loudly as I was, but I was talking to you guys literally minutes after I had just seen it. All see, right. Yeah, I have a small connection to that. Yeah, I like that. I, I love that painting, too, and that's probably, you know, we, we talked about it, I'm sure, Ben, and that's that's part of my recommendation. But. Ben, what other expressions of your Renaissance uh, man uh, kind of uh, – kind of uh, penchant uh, are there? I mean, are you into poetry? Are you into, what else do you like? That's I am, I'm an English major uh, so I, I certainly have a little bit of that and I've been trying to, I try and read, I certainly don't read like I did as a uh, as I did in college, nor does anybody, but I try and keep up on that I try and stay, you know up on whatever culture I can and I've come from a family of artists so it's kind of naturally in my blood, I do the most I do the least artistic thing of anyone in my family right now at this point in our lives and I also just get to write for a living so it's certainly part of my culture I guess growing up and in me but no I love painting I love going to museums it's what I try and do when I'm on trips and not to sound phony but I just kind of easy to walk around and you get a little exercise and it's something fun to look at that's really cool I like that man that's really could you paint you said you were not necessarily really gifted in that regard but could you paint a portrait of Jake if we wanted and we could hang it in the studio here I'll sketch something of Jake this offseason I'll do that I promise you yeah, I'll do that I did a sketch for a friend for Christmas I'll do one for Jake too for his 40th birthday I can do that yeah <laughs> hey man we'll put it up we'll put it up you're uh, you do have a talented family though you talk about that there's a lot of talent in that uh, Anderson family very lucky. Yeah, oh, that's that's good. Uh, ben, we love it when you can come on the show, uh, truly. And you you do great work covering the jazz, and uh, we appreciate you jumping on and sharing a little wisdom with us. Thanks, guys. Thanks, buddy. Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. I remember now, now that he mentions it because when he was going to cover the game, I was like, you got to go by the Art Institute because hmm. it's it's my favorite museum. It's something. Uh, Kind of, I do too. I guess go to different museums wherever we go. When and were that you one's at my the Art Institute in Chicago. I've been to that particular museum three times now. What were you? I mean, what took you there? Uh, I have friends in that part of the country oh. that I've gone to visit multiple times. And that and that's your favorite art museum? Yeah, I've been to the Met, and the Met was amazing. But I liked uh, the Chicago Art, art Institute a little bit better. The the LACMA in L.A. is pretty good. Um, Look at you, Jake. I mean, did you? Is this did this spark this sparked interest in art happen when you were like in high school? What? Yeah, I've always I've always liked art. Did you and take that art history? I did take art uh, history in high yeah, school. What's that? Is that's a what do they call that? AP. Uh huh. Which, by the way, my daughter took hated that, class. that class. You did? Oh, hated it. But you love art. I do. And that's a terrible way to learn about it. How do you hate art history if you love art? Listen, you take art, which is supposed to be about experience and feel and that sort of thing, uh -huh. and you just put up a bunch of slides that encourage people to go to sleep where you get zero feel about the intent of the artist or whatever. It just seemed like a really terrible way to teach that subject. Now, I'm, I'm, I don't know of a better way. Like, I get why they do it, but I didn't think it was a particularly 
great class. I felt like it, it took the fun out of art. If memory serves, I think when my daughter took that class, there was a big old textbook that came with it. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it's still there. Yeah. All right. Well, good for you. See, I got to find, find uh, ways uh, you can go. You can go to the United Center and enjoy that. You can go over to Wrigley. You can go over to Soldier Field. You can go to the Chicago Art uh, Museum and have a great time. Is it different than the Bean Museum? It is. Okay. You uh, mean the, the museum with the big bean in front of it? That's the one. But uh, the Chicago Art Institute, kind of an older style building. It, it was featured in Ghostbusters. You oh, probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was the actual one? Yeah. Hmm. All right. And Nighthawks, that's a particularly... Awesome. Explain, I didn't know the name of that. The Nighthawks. What, yeah. What's that all about? Uh, I'm sure you've seen the, the yeah. You've the seen it. You can go to Ben's Twitter account, but it's basically people up at night in a cafe. It's very Sinatra looking. Ah. Yeah. I just checked out the Nighthawks painting. I like it. I right. like that a lot. Oh, it's great. You should see it in person. Oh, like but, pictures but, don't do it justice. That's, that's just, what I was saying. But, but that just, uh, it, uh, what, what's the word? It uh, emotes something. I bought a print of it when uh, one of the times I've been there. What does it say to you? Uh, I kind of like what Ben was saying. It's really kind of about nothing. It's that, you know, guys late at night, you, you wonder what they're talking about, right? There's a couple there, and on the other side, there's a there's a guy at the bar and, and a man behind. Uh, I, and you wonder I, what time it is, and yeah. also you're on the outside looking in. Like, there's all sorts of, of and, questions. And the, the street is empty. Right. So you wonder what's going on to cause that. I mean, I've always felt for uh, the the waiter, the guy behind the bar. He yeah. doesn't want to be there. No, it's like late, and these he's these, working, and these folks are they should be home. These derelicts. No, wait a minute, they, they they might be going through something too. It's, it's go through it on your no, own time. No, I, I got a family. I love Austin's take here because you know that guy's like these bozos are on their sixteenth cup of five cent coffee, and I'm standing around here listening to them talk about and they politics. They don't look like big tippers either. No, they're 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 they're, they're, they're What's a, they are fighting their way through life. I'm the smartest one in here, and yet I'm behind the bar. <laughs> they, are, they are looking for a little light in their life. More next. Stay tuned. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.